The following episode is Certified Grin for familial violence and partial nudity and may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello there and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a Brothers Grim tale. My name is Matthew Hughes and with me on this journey is my co-host Mr Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading... Faithful John! So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a Grim Reading! There was once upon a time an old king who was ill and thought to himself, I am lying on what must be my deathbed. Then said he, Tell Faithful John to come to me. Faithful John was his favourite servant, and was so called because he had for his whole life long been so true to him. Therefore, when he came beside the bed, the king said to him, My most faithful John, I feel my end approaching, and have no anxiety except about my son. He is still of tender age, and cannot always know how to guide himself. If you do not promise me to teach him everything that he ought to know, and to be his foster father... I cannot close my eyes in peace. Then answered faithful John, I will not forsake him, and will serve him with fidelity, even if it should cost me my life. At this, the old king said, Now I die in comfort and peace. Then he added, After my death, you shall show him the whole castle, all the chambers, halls and vaults, and all the treasures which lie therein. But the last chamber in the long gallery, in which is the picture of the princess of the golden dwelling, you shall not show. If he sees that picture, he will fall violently in love with her, and will drop down in a swoon, and go through great danger for her sake. Therefore you must preserve him from that. And when faithful John had once more given his promise to the old king about this, the king said no more, but laid his head on his pillow and died. Wow. You keeping up? No, what on earth is he talking about? I mean, okay, don't right. like okay. Be my son's foster father because he he doesn't know what he's doing. He needs someone to like show him the ropes. Of course, I'll do that. I'm your faithful servant. Yeah, he dies. Uh, uh, well, yep. He's about to die. But it's like okay, show him all the castle except yep. that last room because in that room yep. there's a painting of a princess, the princess of the golden dwelling. I don't know who, who that is or what that is, well, but if he shows it, he'll fall violently in love with her and fall into a swoon. He'll swoon. And do everything for her. She's a painting. Wow. I don't understand. Listen, you're not cut out for the role of Faithful John, because Faithful John asks no questions. He no. just says, I'll do as you command, my liege. But does he know what he's talking about? Wow. Or is he like, does he walk out the room and go, what? <laughs> what did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe the latter. Yeah. <laughs> Cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's gone. <laughs> when the old king had been carried to his grave, Faithful John told the young king, all that he had promised his father on his deathbed, and said, This I will assuredly perform, and will be faithful to you as I have been faithful to him, even if it should cost me my life. When the morning was over, faithful John said to him, It is now time that you should see your inheritance. I will show you your father's palace. Then he took him about everywhere, up and down, and let him see all the riches and the magnificent apartments. Only there was one room which he did not open, that in which hung the dangerous picture. Mm, okay. The picture was, however, so placed that when the door was opened, you looked straight onto it, 
and it was so admirably painted that it seemed to breathe and live. And there was nothing more charming or more beautiful in the whole world. Just FYI. Yeah. The young king, however, plainly remarked that faithful John always walked past this one door and said, why'd you never open this one for me? There is something within it, he replied, which will terrify you. But the king answered, I've seen all the palace and I will know what is in this room also. And he went and tried to break open the door by force. <laughs> then faithful John held him back and said, I promised your father before his death that you should not see that which is in this chamber. It might bring the greatest misfortune on you and on me. Ah, no, replied the young king. If I do not go in, it will be my certain destruction. I should have no rest day or night until I've seen it with my own eyes. I shall not leave the place now until you have unlocked the door. Then faithful John saw that there was no help for it now and with a heavy heart and many sighs, sought out the key from the great bunch. When he had opened the door, he went in first, and thought by standing before him that he could hide the portrait so that the king should not see it in front of him. Yeah. But to what avail? The king stood on tiptoe and saw it over his shoulder. And when he saw the portrait of the maiden, which was so magnificent and shone with gold and precious stones, he fell fainting to the ground. <laughs> oh, what is, what is this? Faithful John took him up, carried him to his bed, and sorrowfully thought, The misfortune has befallen us. Lord God, what will be the end of it? Then he strengthened him with wine until he came to himself again. <laughs> so, the young king has fainted after looking at a painting. Yeah. He's popped him in the bed and brought him around with some wine. Get this down, your boy. <laughs> this will sort you out. This is weird. <laughs> the first words the king said when he woke up were, Ah, the beautiful portrait. Who is it? That is the princess of the golden dwelling, answered faithful John. Then the king continued. My love for her is so great that if all the leaves on all the trees were tongues, they could not declare it. I will give my life to win her. You are my most faithful John. You must help me. The faithful servant considered within himself for a long time how to set about the matter, for it was difficult even to obtain a sight of the king's daughter. So yeah, it's a, it's a famous king's daughter from another kingdom. Right. It's a painting of her that's been locked away. It's too powerful. It's too, it is too yeah. powerful, yeah. So he's been thinking, how, how am I going to get this princess for, for the king? Okay. And at length, he thought of a way and said to the king, Everything which she has about her is of gold. Tables, chairs, dishes, glasses, bowls, and household furniture. <laughs> <laughs> Among your treasures are five tons of gold. Let one of the goldsmiths of the kingdom work these up into all manner of vessels and utensils, into all kinds of birds, wild beasts, and strange animals, such as may please her, and we will go there with them and try our luck. The king ordered all the goldsmiths to be brought to him. Bring me all the goldsmiths! <laughs> all of them! Like, sorry, sire, all the goldsmiths. <laughs> and they had to work night and day until at last the most splendid things were prepared. So they've, they've made these amazing uh, golden trinkets. Yeah. When everything was stowed on board a ship, faithful John put on the clothing of a merchant, and the king was forced to do the same in order to make himself quite unrecognizable. Then they sailed across the sea, and sailed on until they came to the town where the princess of the golden dwelling resided. Faithful John bade the king stay behind on the ship and wait for him. Perhaps I shall bring the princess with me, said he. Therefore, see that everything is in order. Have the golden vessels set out and the whole ship decorated. Then he gathered together in his apron all kinds of gold things, went on shore, and walked straight to the royal palace. 
When he entered the courtyard of the palace, a beautiful girl was standing there by the well with two golden buckets in her hand, drawing water with them. And when she was just turning round to carry away the sparkling water, she saw the stranger and asked who he was. So he answered, I am a merchant, and opened his apron and let her look in. In what? In his apron. Have what? a look in my apron. What's in his apron? Lots of gold things. Oh. Gold goodies. Okay, got you. Then she cried, Oh, what beautiful gold things! And put her pails down and looked at the golden wares one after the other. Then said the girl, The princess must see these. She has such great pleasure in golden things that she will buy all you have. And she took him by the hand and led him upstairs, for she was the waiting maid. Okay. You right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm just waiting to see what happens when he meets the princess of the golden dwelling or whatever she's called. Well, when the king's daughter saw the wares, she was quite delighted and said, They are so beautifully worked that I will buy them all from you. But faithful John said, I am only the servant of a rich merchant. The things I have here are not to be compared with those my master has in his ship. They are the most beautiful and valuable things that have ever been made in gold. Mm. She wanted to have everything brought to her there, but he said, There are so many of them that it would take a great many days to do that, and so many rooms would be required to exhibit them that your house is not big enough. Then her curiosity and longing were still more excited, until at last she said, oh, Take me to the ship. I'll go there myself and behold the treasures of your master. On this, faithful John was quite delighted and led her to the ship. And when the king saw her, he perceived that her beauty was even greater than the picture had represented it to be, and thought no other than that his heart would burst. Then she got into the ship, and the king led her within. Faithful John, however, remained behind with the pilot, and ordered the ship to be pushed off, saying, Set all the sails, till it fly like a bird in air. Whoa, 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 whoa. They just kidnapped a princess. They kidnapped a princess. Guys, what, what is Faithful John staying behind? No, he's, he's hanging out with the pilot of the ship. Okay. Saying, let's get out of here. Okay, on the bridge, right. Okay. Take us home. Take us home, boys. Okay. Inside, however, so below deck, I guess. Yeah. The king showed her the golden vessels, every one of them, and the wild beasts and strange animals, which are all made of gold. Yeah, like figurines. Many hours went by while she was seeing everything, and in her delight, she did not observe that the ship was sailing away. After she'd looked at the last piece, she thanked the merchant and wanted to go home. But when she came to the side of the ship, she saw that it was on the deep sea far from land. Oh, no. And hurrying onwards with all sails set. Ah! cried she in her alarm. I'm betrayed! I'm carried away and have fallen into the power of a merchant. I would rather die! The king, however, seized her by the hand and said, I'm not a merchant. I'm a king, and of no worse origin than you are. And if I have carried you away with subtlety, that has come to pass because of my exceeding great love for you. The first time that I looked on your portrait, I fell fainting to the ground. When the princess of the Golden Dwelling heard that, she was comforted. What? That's not comforting. <laughs> and her heart was inclined unto him, mm. so that she willingly consented to be his wife. No, no, I hate it. <laughs> Look, the only reason I've kidnapped you is because I saw a picture of you and I fainted. Oh, really? Oh Did my you gosh, really? If you just said that from the beginning... Oh, I love you. Yeah, <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> it's not a great chat-up line, really. What? I'm... Well, I've been looking at pictures of you that made me faint. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a bold opening gambit. <laughs> well, because I fainted earlier, I've had a lot of wine. 
<laughs> but it's all right because my, my manservant gave me wine and it woke me up. And then I came here and kidnapped you. I learned that your greatest weakness is gold and I used it against you. <laughs> oh, how romantic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this isn't good. This is not going well. Well, apparently it is because she's consented to be his wife. So now they're all happy. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's as easy as that. Well, is it? Because it so happened, mm. however, while they were sailing onwards over the deep sea, that faithful John, who was sitting on the forepart of the vessel making music, saw... <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind, don't mind me, I'll just go out here and make some music for a second. He's definitely got one leg up on the, like, sort of railing, strumming his, like, lute or something. And his cape flying behind him. No, I think he's got his laptop out and he's cooking up some great beats. <laughs> Takes his headphone off, like, what was that? You guys are right down there. Right. Uh, well, yeah, so he's making music, but sure. he saw three ravens in the air, which came flying towards them. At this, he stopped playing and listened to what they were saying to each other. For that, he well understood. Okay, he understand. understands Raven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One cried, Ah, there he is, carrying home the princess of the Golden Dwelling. Yes, replied the second, but he's not got her yet. Mm-hmm. Said the third, but he has got her. She's sitting beside him in the ship. Then the first began again and cried, What good will that do him? When they reach land, a chestnut horse will leap forward to meet him, and the princess will want to mount it. But if he does that, it will run away with him and rise up into the air with him, and he will never see his maiden again. Right. I don't know anything you just said. What? Okay. A chestnut horse? What is that? (laughs) I guess a brown horse. Okay. It's like, he thinks he's home and dry. He thinks he's got his princess. But as soon as they hit land, a chestnut horse is going to come along. Yeah. And if if he hops on it... It will right. fly off into the air and he'll never see the maiden again. <laughs> this, is, this is Faithful John overhearing this from some ravens. <laughs> from ravens, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, quite, it's quite an ordinary story, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. At this, he closed his laptop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he took out his uh, AirPods. <laughs> Said the second, But is there no escape? Oh, yes. If anyone else gets on it swiftly and takes out the pistol, which must be in its holster, and shoots the horse dead with it, the young king is saved. But who knows that? And whoever does know it and tells it to him will be turned to stone from the toe to the knee. Then the second said, I know more than that. Even if the horse is killed, the young king will still not keep his bride. When they go into the castle together, a wrought bridal garment will be lying there in a dish and looking as if it were woven of gold and silver. It is, however, nothing but sulphur and pitch. And if he puts it on, it will burn him to the very bone and marrow. Wow. Said the third. Is there no escape at all? Oh, yes, replied the second. If anyone with gloves on seizes the garment and throws it into the fire and burns it, the young king will be saved. But what's the good in that? Whoever knows it and tells it to him, half his body will become stone from the knee to the heart. I see. From the knee to the heart. That's a bigger jump that time. Then said the third. I know still more. Even if the bridal garment be burnt, the young king will still not have his bride. After the wedding, when the dancing begins and the young queen is dancing, she will suddenly turn pale and fall down as if dead. And if someone does not lift her up and suck three drops of blood from her right breast and spit them out again, she will die. Oh, for goodness sake. But, <laughs> but if anyone who knows that were to declare it, he would become stone from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot. 
Do you want me to just recap that very quickly, or are we all are we all? I on think board? I understand. He's got to avoid getting on a chestnut horse. Yep. Uh, putting on the the uh, sulfur and pitch bridal garment. Yep. And kill him. Uh, as soon as they start dancing, the the new queen falls down. Yeah. He's got to suck on her right breast. Suck out, suck out three blood. drops of blood and spit them out. So the king has to do all of these things. Uh, well, no. Okay, interesting. Someone has to do that. Someone has to. But the king doesn't know that. So the yeah. king won't do that. Okay. Well, it's it's looking like maybe John's going to have to do it. Because well, he's good. the only one who knows. I think so. It's a good job he speaks raven. When the ravens had spoken of this together, they flew onwards. And faithful John had well understood everything. But from that time forth, he became quiet and sad. For if he concealed what he had heard, his master would suffer. And if he revealed it to him, he himself must sacrifice his life. Hmm. At length, however, he said to himself, I will save my master, even if it brings destruction to myself. Wow. He's faithful, John, after all. When, therefore, they came to shore, all happened as had been foretold by the ravens, and a magnificent chestnut horse sprang forward. Good, said the king. <laughs> oh, he shall carry me to my palace. And was about to mount it, when faithful John got before him, jumped quickly on it, drew the pistol out of the holster, and shot the horse. Nice. Then the other attendants of the king, who were, after all, were not very fond of faithful John, uh. cried, How shameful to kill the beautiful animal that was to have carried the king to his palace. But the king said, Hold your peace and leave him alone. He's my most faithful John. Who knows what good may come of his actions? He trusts him. That's, that's nice. And I see he hasn't told anyone he's just done it. Yeah. So he hasn't turned to stone yet. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Got you. Right. Yeah, so he can, he can just do that. Yeah. As but, long but, as he doesn't just say. The, but because people, because he hasn't said, people yeah. are like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, we're just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> like a horse wanders out, he just jumps on it and shoots it in the head. He's on the horse and then shoots the horse in the head. <laughs> and then there's just silence. And the king's like, well, I guess we should find another way to get to the, the palace then. <laughs> oh, look at that lovely horse. <laughs> John, you can you can walk, right? <laughs> we'll see you there. Is he okay? It's been a long journey. Yeah. It's been a long journey. Just, just leave him to it. Okay, well, that's good. That's one down. Okay. Yeah, so one down, two more dangers to go. Yeah. So they went into the palace, and in the hall there stood a dish, and inside lay the bridal garment looking no otherwise than if it were made of gold and silver. The young king went towards it and was about to take hold of it. But faithful John pushed him away, seized it with gloves on, and carried it quickly to the fire and burnt it. <laughs> out of my way! <laughs> coming through, coming through! The other attendants again began to murmur and said, Behold, now he's even burning the king's bridal garment. But the young king said, Who knows what good he may have done? Leave him alone. He's my most faithful John. Yeah. And now the wedding was solemnized. Oh, dear. The this is going to get awkward. <laughs> the dance began. <laughs> <laughs> they start playing Albert. Everyone's on the dance floor. Doing the Macarena. Yeah. And the bride also took part in it. But faithful John was watchful and he looked into her face. <laughs> I looked into her face look at me look in my face look at me look at me are you okay <laughs> look me in the face <laughs> so, suddenly she turned pale and fell to the ground as if she were dead 
At this, he ran hastily to her, lifted her up, and bore her into a chamber. Then he laid her down and knelt and sucked the three drops of blood from her right breast and spat them out. Immediately she breathed again and recovered herself. But the young king had seen this, and being ignorant of why faithful John had done it, was angry and cried, Throw him in the dungeon! Yeah. Next morning, faithful John was condemned and led to the gallows. And when he stood up high and was about to be executed, he said, Everyone who is to die is permitted before his end to make one last speech. May I too claim the right? Yes, answered the king. It shall be granted. Then said faithful John, I am unjustly condemned and have always been true to you. And he related how he had hearkened to the conversation of the ravens when at sea and how he had been obliged to do all those things in order to save his master. Then cried the king, Oh, my most faithful John, pardon, pardon, bring him down. But as faithful John spoke the last word, he had fallen down lifeless and become a stone. Mm. At this, the king and queen suffered great anguish. And the king said, Ah, how ill I have requited great fidelity. And ordered the stone figure to be taken up and placed in his bedroom beside his bed. And as often as he looked at it, he wept and said, Oh, if I could bring you to life again, my most faithful John. Mm. Some time passed. (laughs) (laughs) Five years later. Yeah. And the queen bore twins, two sons. Who grew, okay, I'll, I'll save it, I'll save it. They grew fast and were her delight. Yeah, nice. Once, when the queen was at church and the two children were sitting playing beside their father, the latter, full of grief, again looked at the stone figure, sighed and said, Oh, if I could but bring you to life again, my most faithful John. Then the stone began to speak and said, You can bring me to life again if you will sacrifice what is dearest to you. Uh, I emphasize that if and sacrifice because they're italicized for some reason. (laughs) Then cried the king, I'll give everything in the world I have for you. The stone continued, If you will cut off the heads of your two children with your own hand and sprinkle me with their blood, I shall be restored to life. This is horrendous. (laughs) What are you talking about, John? The king was terrified when he heard that he himself must kill his dearest children. But he thought of faithful John's great fidelity and how he had died for him, drew his sword, and with his own hand cut off the children's heads. Oh, for goodness sake. (laughs) And when he had smeared the stone with their blood... Oh my word, this is horrendous. Life returns This is the worst thing you've ever read to me. (laughs) (laughs) like imagine walking in on that scene yeah that is horrendous well once he'd done that faithful john stood once more safe and healthy before him and he said to the king your fidelity shall not go unrewarded and he took the heads of the children put them on again (laughs) and rubbed the wounds with their blood at which they became whole again immediately and jumped about and went on playing as if nothing had happened (laughs) I hope you got the right head on the right twin. <laughs> so there's no trauma at all. No, it's all good. That's, that's good. Then the king was full of joy. And when he saw the queen coming, he hid faithful John and the two children in a great cupboard. <laughs> when she entered, he said to her, Have you been praying in the church? Yes, answered she. 
But I have constantly been thinking of faithful John and what misfortune has befallen him through us. Then said he, Dear wife, we can give him his life again, but it will cost us our two little sons whom we must sacrifice. The queen turned pale and her heart was full of terror, but she said, We owe it to him for his great fidelity. No, you don't. Then the king rejoiced that she had thought as he had thought and went and opened the cupboard and brought forth faithful John and the children and said, God be praised, he is saved and we have our little sons again also. And he told her how everything had occurred. <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I chopped their heads off earlier. Yeah, don't, yeah, you don't yeah. need to do it. I was just sort of... They're fine now. I didn't know they were going to be fine, <laughs> yeah. but they're fine now. We'll clean that blood off them. We'll have a bath later. Yeah. It'll be fine. <laughs> Ah, but yeah, she knows that everything's good, and then they dwelt together in much happiness until their death. The end. crazy story quite unpleasant <laughs> yeah for lots of reasons yeah yeah i don't like the fact they kidnapped a princess yeah kidnap she appears to be suffering from stockholm syndrome stockholm syndrome uh he assaults her on a wedding night i mean we all is told it's for a good reason but i mean she's dancing having a great time on her wedding day he's staring in her face he just picks her up Drags her off to a bedroom and, yeah, come on. Well, he saved her life. He saved her life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's okay. That's okay. I mean, it's weird experience it's weird. for us all to envisage. Yeah. But I think morally he's all right. Um, then, and then not to yeah. mention the fact that once that all happens and he's <sighs> turned to stone and, and he pops him up by his bed. Yeah. Uh, have twins and, yeah, the statue says cut off their heads and he just kills his children because a statue yeah. told him to yeah i mean he's yeah he's not much of a charmer this prince king no. guy is he no yeah kidnaps his future wife then putting her through the same choice as well yeah. he could have said look yeah you're not gonna like this but i had to do this earlier instead i've solved it he yeah. put her through the same yeah that's yeah. that's totally unnecessary so, and it's like don't worry i already killed them it's fine <laughs> yeah nuts it's really weird and it's weird that he propped him up by his bed and so, like, I mean, they've had children. John's been there the whole time watching. That's what I said I'll say to later, because I was like, that's inappropriate. <laughs> so I, he comes back to life. He's like, I saw everything. Like, so he's like, thank you so much for bringing me back to life. Did you have to put me by your bed? Just, um, could there not have been somewhere else? A maybe? cupboard or... You know that I was technically still alive. Uh, and I had no choice. I couldn't look away. Yeah. We won't talk about it, but uh, <laughs> just so you know. Let's uh, put that behind us. <laughs> I think maybe because we've had, it's been a little bit of time since our last story. Maybe you're, um, you're a bit sort of fresher to the grims now. Because, you yeah. know, maybe <laughs> maybe you're less desensitized than you were. Because I wasn't I sure how you were going to take this. Yeah. I thought maybe you thought just... I might not bat an eyelid. Yeah. yeah. Instead, you said it's one of the worst things I've ever read to you. <laughs> Uh, when he's cutting the heads off his twins to save the yeah. life of the statue. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty weird. That's pretty bad. There have been instances of 
infanticide before. Yeah, kids' heads being chopped off as yeah. well. Yeah, but this felt particularly <laughs> brutal for some reason. Yeah, because yeah, because almost like it's not a villain doing it; it's their own father doing it for a good reason. Yeah, in quotes, yeah. which is and we're supposed to be like, odd. yeah, yeah. Cut off your kids' heads to save faithful John. And you know, speaking of the uh, the 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 blood sucking breast business, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not quite how I'd phrase it. It's not no, a blood sucking breast. You knew exactly what I meant. When <laughs> I did, um, there's a slight implication of a kind of love triangle sort of situation. Right. Yeah. They all live together at the end. Yeah. Very yeah. To, in the same bedroom, technically, for a few years. Yeah. Um, that's so inappropriate. But it's interesting because that is strangely a bit like the last grim story we read. If you cast your mind back, the two brothers. Two brothers. Now, oh yes, monstrously long story, the longest ever grim story. Yeah, the uh, the the brother had been <laughs> identical brother had kind of slept in his other brother's bed with his wife, and then in a jealous rage, the other brother cuts off his head. Yeah, and then the lion puts the head back on and brings him back to life. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. So, sort of killing out of uh, jealousy, and technically in this story, the king is killing condemning John to death out of sort of jealousy in yeah. many ways. Uh, yeah. So there's a strange, there's a similar, very close tie yeah, in there. Yeah, that is interesting. And, you know, they're, it's been a while, but they're back-to-back grim stories that yeah. we've had. That, uh, and we get that sometimes. Funny how it works out. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah, you're not sure about that? Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, okay, well, in its, you know, in its favour, or I suppose... What it's talking about, maybe, is loyalty. It's a story yeah. about loyalty, uh, which is what the prince displays at the end, the king, rather, and what John is doing throughout the whole story. He's faithful John. And interestingly, that sort of, that, that display of commitment at the end by the king is very reminiscent of, uh, in the Bible, Abraham and Isaac. Yes. What's the story? Tell us the story. Uh... I can't remember the exact story, but God tells Abraham to slay Isaac. Who's his son, I yeah. think. Yeah. And because the faith of Abraham is, is so great, he puts Isaac up on the mm. on the altar mm-hmm. and raises the dagger or stor- sword or whatever to, to sacrifice him. And then God, God says, he sees he's about to do it, mm. totally committed, says, look, there's actually a ram caught in a thicket over there. Sacrifice that instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is sacrifice and, and he gets to not mm-hmm. kill his son. And it's like a display of total, complete faith. And devotion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is exactly what happens at the end of this story. Yeah. But then also throughout the whole rest of the story, it's about John being faithful as well. It is interesting though, isn't it? Because, I mean, it does make sense because he's a servant of the court of the king isn't he so as the king dies Mm. he then will serve his son because his son is now king Mm. but in a way that like serving the king that dies at the start and serving the young king Mm. on this issue of going into that room at the beginning they're directly Mm. opposed yeah and it's like it's like that uh can't be faithful to both it's like irobot where you've got the (laughs) what happens in irobot uh, you've got the three rules like you can't allow a human to be harmed. You can't, you know, and, and right. they kind of clash in some, yeah, some override other ones. 
Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a bit of sci-fi, maybe, this one. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of sci-fi. Not, not even remotely, but... <laughs> go with that. I had a go. Well, what it is a bit like, actually, I thought, is um, uh, Oscar Wilde. Um, I don't the, know any Oscar Wilde. The picture of Dorian Gray. Well, I know of that. He's got a hidden portrait in the attic. Okay. Oh, interesting. A forbidden portrait that you're not allowed to look at. Right. Which is what, uh, you know, yeah. you know the story of uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, like there's a... The picture in the attic gets uglier and older, and he get, he stays young and beautiful. Right, um, but it kind of corrupts him. Amazing book, uh, but here we've got this hidden, powerful picture, forbidden picture in an attic as well. Mm. So that immediately reminded me of Dorian Gray. Yeah, and it is interesting that Oscar Wilde wrote fairy tales. Did he? Yeah, in the in the fairy tale world, he's quite well known. He, oh uh, right, he was a fairy tale writer. So I actually wonder if, to some extent. This story was actually an influence on the picture of Dorian Gray. I mean, could well be. I, I, I you know, that is speculative. Yeah, but I think it makes sense. It's not that crazy a thought. No. Uh, and yeah, he. I mean, we could explore his fairy tales at some oh, point. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Yeah. You know, I, I just now it's occurred to me. Uh, something else it reminds me of is, is it, is it Medusa? That if you look at, you turn to stone. Yes. So there's obviously the the turning. I mean, they're sort of you've taken those two things. You yeah. look at someone and then you turn to stone, and it separated them. So it's looking at the picture at the beginning Ooh. doesn't turn you to stone. Other stuff happens, yeah. and then you've got the turning to stone elsewhere Ooh. in the story. There's elements of that. Very good. Well, very shortly, Adam, we will be looking at uh, how this story ties into other narratives from the history of fiction and literature okay. i've got a few Perfect. avenues for us to go down but there Excellent. Are, there's so many there's endless ones i mean that's not one i came across in research but i i totally buy that yeah, yeah. but there are loads and I'll, we'll explore them shortly Perfect. okay i look forward to it but as well as the wider world of, mm-hmm. of literature and storytelling and myth, myths and, and whatnot um this is quite similar to grim fairy tales that we've already heard as well okay uh, in particular, the idea of this faithful servant. Yeah. We've already seen that in The Frog King. Yeah. Uh, with Iron Henry, if you remember. It's faithful Iron Henry. Uh, what happens to Iron Henry? Don't know. Have a re-listen to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to that. Uh, we've got Bluebeard in there with the Forbidden Room. Yeah. You can go anywhere you like, but not that room. Yeah. Uh, the Six Swans as well. You get Kidnapped Princess. And Puss in Boots as well, a little bit, I thought. You've got the kind of servant, the helper, the magical helper, is running around and doing everything for yeah. you, ahead of you, to pave the way for you. Right, yeah. And you've got this sort of almost oblivious king. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true, actually, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much going on in this story. But it seems like, yeah, you didn't really like the way that this was configured and the the brutal things in it there are some there are some brutal parts to this story and some parts that i think when viewed through uh, the context of someone in 2023 don't come off that well yeah. <laughs> particularly kidnapping a princess yeah that's pretty bad yeah i think particularly chopping your kids heads off yeah that i think you'd almost say that's frowned upon today I think it's not just generally not accepted yeah. as a thing to do. Probably back then as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say so. Uh, I thought it's it's interesting how in the beginning his father 
essentially forbids him from falling in love. Yeah, what's his... And and does, does he know about the chestnut horse and the... Well, yeah. What, what are the dangers that he's worried about for him? And it is, you know, breaking that promise, which Faithful John does, it, you know, it leads them all on a, you know, perilous wild goose chase. Yeah. But ultimately, it's how we get the happy ending is by breaking the rule. Right, yeah. By not following the orders of the father. Yeah. We end up with our happy ending. <laughs> yeah. What do, so do you think if, if the king, like, beyond the grave was able to see it now, he's like, that oh, fair play. <laughs> yeah. You didn't do what I said, but it turned out right in the end. Yeah. Good on you, son. Yeah. Well done. I, that that could have gone either way, but we're lucky. Turned yeah. out all right. I mean, yeah. Didn't didn't technically do what I asked you to do, but fair Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I would keep the decapitation to yourself. <laughs> Wouldn't tell anyone about that. No. So, what avenue are you going to drag me down first? <laughs> drag you down willingly? Yeah, yeah, and it's not against yeah, my yeah. will. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll sort of give you um, sort of some, some sort of background to the story. So, people have looked into this story, including the Grimms, and tried to trace, that's hard to say, its origins and, and make sort of comparisons throughout mm. literature and storytelling. So we'll kind of follow those threads. Yeah. Uh, mostly we'll be led by the Grimm's in okay. this. But I've kind of picked out a few of their a few of their sort of tunnels that they went down. We're not going to follow everything they said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but just to say, first of all, uh, the tale, this tale was added to the Grimm's collection with the second edition in 1819. Wasn't there at the very beginning. Interesting. Uh, in German, I think it's the Truer Johannes. The true Johannes. Yeah. Sometimes it's translated to English as Faithful John, like we had. Mm -hmm. I think more commonly it's known as Trusty John. Yeah, does the same. Yeah. Doesn't it? Does the same job. Trusty John, Trusty Faithful John. Faithful John. Sometimes it stays as Johannes, Trusty Johannes. Okay. We got Faithful John. The source for the story was uh, Dorothea Veerman. Okay. She told the Grimms this story. It's uh, it's ATU type five one six, the petrified friend. Oh, okay, yeah. interesting. So ATU, that's a sort of system for classifying folk and fairy tale narratives. Uh, I didn't want to confuse matters by bringing up ATU, but I just thought it was interesting because it reminded me of Star Wars, quite strongly. Uh, okay, this is fun because yeah, you as, know this. As one. long time <gasps> listeners know, I haven't seen any of the Star Wars films. But, Blasphemous. but I, it's fun to try and get references to things you haven't even seen just because oh. they're so ubiquitous in popular culture. Oh, this is about to be so fun. Are you thinking of, <laughs> is it... He's pointing at me. Han Solo, Frozen yep. and Carbonite? Yes, Come on. it is. I haven't even seen it. That's amazing. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, he gets petrified in Carbonite. So petrified in this instance doesn't just mean scared as no. we use it today. The original meaning of petri to petrify one. Yeah. And he gets rescued by his friends. People who know Star Wars will know that it often gets referred to as like a fairy tale. And George Lucas was, you know, thought, okay. I think thought of it as a fairy tale. Oh, so again, this story may have inspired Oscar Wilde and it may have inspired Star Wars. Wow. Completely without any basis in fact, that assertion. But yeah. I, I think we can pretty confidently say 
this story is responsible for two great works of fiction. Uh, in my mind, Matt, that is now fact. Fact. Grim yeah. fact. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, on the origin of this story, before we get to the Grimm's, yeah. their thoughts, many writers and folklorists have posited an Indian provenance okay. for Faithful John. Edgar Taylor, who uh, he first translated the Grimm's Tales into English. We've heard of him before. Yes. He said, Faithful John contained so much of Orientalism. Okay. Joseph Jacobs, another early uh, fairytale writer. Yep. Uh, he supposedly, I read that he pointed out connections with stories in the Pankatantra and Somadeva's The Ocean of Stories. These are two important collections of stories from the subcontinent. Yeah, we know of the Pankatantra. We've covered that before. I'm not familiar with the other one. No, The Ocean of Stories, we haven't gone near that, but no. it's a very old Indian collection of stories. Oh. Likewise, Stith Thompson of ATU... He's the right. T in ATU. Yep. He argued that uh, Faithful John has, in complete form, travelled from India. So all these people were saying about how it's very Indian. Interesting. Stith Thompson says it's com in a complete form travel from India. For love nor money, I couldn't find specific examples. So I was thinking, okay, well, where are these Indian stories? I yeah. want to read them. Couldn't find them. Could not find something specific on it. Oh. Maybe that's my failing. But I wanted to say, people say, learned people from the past yeah. think it's, it's uh, yeah, comes oh, from India in not. quite a complete form, as they say. Oh, interesting. So yeah, those folklorists offered this, but I didn't get any further with it, Sure, sadly. So instead, I turned to the Grimms for further exploration. Ah, oh, you can rely on the Grimms. And they provided, as I said, many pathways to follow. So yeah, we're going to be indulgent here. Okay. We haven't got many stories left. I'm going to share a few tales with you now. Fantastic. This is music to my ears. In particular, we find ourselves with a specific French medieval romance tale. So in their annotations, the Brothers Grimm wrote about Faithful John. I know this is a direct quote. Okay. It is evidently the saga of the faithful friends Amicus and Amelius. The one, while appearing to wrong the other, in reality gives his life for him. On the other hand, the latter sacrifices his own children in order to bring his friend back to existence, though by a miracle these are preserved. So, the Grimm's say, oh, Faithful John is basically that medieval French story. Amicus and Amelius. That's, that, yeah, though that's the translation I got. Um, I think in French it's ami et amils. Okay. Which I think essentially means friend and friend. It's a kind of play on that. Yeah, yeah. It's a 12th century uh, chanson du geste, it's called. These, are, these were epic poems okay. that were set in and around the time of Charlemagne, sort of legendary French king, Frankish yeah. king. And they were written between the 12th and the 15th centuries. Okay. Epic poems about Charlemagne and his court written in the 12th to 15th centuries. I, I won't go into detail, but the, ba the basic story is that there are two mates, Amicus and Amelius. Yeah. Um, uh, one of them, Amicus, say, gets <laughs> smited with leprosy oh. because he committed perjury to save Amelius. Uh, and he did that by fighting in his place in single combat. So he pretended to be the other dude, fought in single combat. 
Single combat like a duel? Like a duel. Okay. Pretending to be the other one. He gets leprosy because he did that because it's technically Does perjury. Does that count as perjury? Well, apparently. Okay. In 12th century France. Yeah. Uh, then a vision informed him that he could only be cured of leprosy by bathing in the blood of Emile's children. Oh. Emile then, because he's a great friend, he killed his children to save Amicus. But the children were then miraculously restored to life after they're cured. So yeah. very, very similar. And in fact, very the Grimm's say it is evidently the saga of the faithful friends, Amicus and Emilius. They say yeah. it's the same story. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty blatant. Yeah. Yeah. Not Indian, though. No. French. Going the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got went west, mate. You want east. But there are plenty of other stories in there as well. So okay. the Grimm's also mention Hercules, death by shirt. Excuse me? So in... <laughs> so, 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 don't look at me and say that. What are you talking about? So in Faithful John, they were like, don't let him put on the bridal garment. Pick right. out the gloves, chuck in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, death by shirt is unusual. It's a strange concept. It's very strange. But it's what did in Hercules in the end. Is it? Do you know about this? No. Okay, so Hercules, you know the guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a sort of god, mega hero man. One of the Olympians? Is he, he is. Yeah. yeah, he is. Well, we'll find out how that happens. Okay. <laughs> At the moment, though, while he's alive, he's a demigod. Okay. Son of Zeus. Sure. He's ba he's, for all intents and purposes, he's indestructible. Yeah. Once he's completed his 12 labours and had all his adventures, uh, he married a second wife, Deianira. I'm going with. Okay, go with that. One day, they're crossing a river, and the ferryman is a centaur called Nessus. Now, when Deianira is on Nessus's back, because that's how you get across the uh, the river, uh, he gets it in his head that he's going to run off with her and, he, and have his way with her uh, forcefully. Uh, so he runs off. Hercules, from the shoreline, fires a poisoned arrow that hits Nessus, mortally wounding him. Oh, dear. The centre realises what's happened. He's a goner. Yeah. He snaps off the snaps out the arrow, takes out the dart tip, and he gives it to Deianira, telling her that if she uses the blood on it, then she can make a love potion. But he knows that his blood is mixed with the poison of the arrow. Yeah. She doesn't know that, though. She pockets it. Years later, Hercules is off doing something or other. Yeah. Uh, and he said, look, I'll be home in about 15 months. <laughs> he pops a quick text. On my way home, ETA, 15 months. Yeah. But it's been longer than 15 months. He's uh -oh. working late. Oh, um, this is how it starts, isn't it? The marriage falls apart. Yeah. Well, she starts to hear rumours that he's shacking up with somebody else. Mm. So she smears the centre blood on a tunic. She's like, I got the love potion. She smears it on a tunic. Okay. Sends it to him as a gift, thinking that she'd win him back. Yeah, it's a love potion after all. Uh, Hercules comes home. He sees the tunic parcel on the bed. He thinks, I love a bloodstained tunic. Yeah. Pops it on. Thank you very much. But immediately it started to burn him, okay. causing him excruciating pain, oh, and no. he can't take it off. So he's just writhing around in pain. Can't take that bloody shirt off. Oh, no. Did it just not fit very well? <laughs> He's a big guy. <laughs> he's, he's ripped, actually. <laughs> so, so he know, he knows this is the end. He's like, I'm I'm done. He's a goner. Yeah. So, in answer to his pleas, he's like, put me out of my agony. His yeah. friends build him a funeral pyre. 
<laughs> but when, <laughs> help, I'm dying. We'll construct a funeral pyre. No one's ever told this story in this way. <laughs> it's so unprofessional. <laughs> it's a literary podcast. <laughs> no. oh, I'm it's done again. What are you talking about? I'm so sorry, this everyone. Is, this is nothing to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> what is this what am i doing <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it i'm enjoying it so I know that much. well they've built him a funeral pyre hercules's yeah, yeah. mates while he's dying yeah yeah he's just rolling on the floor <laughs> screaming they're popping the logs together lovely but when it comes to the crunch no one is brave enough to light it mm, this is what happens <laughs> is it yeah <laughs> It's a classic. When your friends build a funeral pyre for you, they get cold feet at the end. It always happens. Tale as old as time. So Hercules screams for help to the gods. He's like, help me. And Zeus thunderbolts it from up high. <laughs> sets it alight. Oh, lovely fire. Yeah. Hercules hurls himself on the pyre and burns to death. Oh, kills no. himself. And here he undergoes uh, his apotheosis and he becomes a god where before he was a demigod. Right. Uh, and now he sits atop Mount Olympus with the other Olympians, as you were saying. Right. Wow. That's the story of the uh, Hercules' death by the poisoned oh. shirt. That's like... Um, did you ever watch Midsommar? No. Okay. Too freaked out to watch yeah, it. Yeah, it's a little bit freaky. That basically happens at the end. Really? He has a love no, potion. No spoilers, eh? Uh, okay. I think that was got it. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I I didn't love the film, by the way. Oh really? No. So in my head, <laughs> my case falling out. I don't know what way. Is that the rule? Was. No, it's not the rule. Um, but wow, I didn't know that about Hercules. Yeah. Um, or Heracles, I think is what we should be calling. Heracles, him. yeah. But yeah, the Grimms made that connection. Right. They 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 noticed the the similarity there. Death by shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um. And also, actually, in terms of their own fairy tales, the Grimm's fairy tales, they, they also compare this story to the two brothers, like we uh, we did earlier. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, which weirdly was our last story we did, last Grimm story. Yeah, crazy. So, you know, we jump back from the Grimm's, you, you know, we jumped back about 400 years to medieval France. And apparently before that, you can trace this back to India. Amazing. Although I struggled to find any concrete proof of that, but I'm sure it's out there. I'm taking your word for it. And there are, pl- there are plenty of other stories they mention, including a Russian fairy tale, a Viking saga. Mm-hmm. But I think we'll leave it there. Yeah, I think it's time. Well, I think it's time to give this story a rating. So, every uh, every story we read, we give a mark out of 10 each for a possible maximum score of 20. Mm. Uh, Adam goes first. Yeah. But before then, just to say, so every story in this series was voted for in a, in a patron poll, which determined the order that we read these stories. Yes. Faithful John received 8% of the vote. Uh. Uh, which meant it was tied with the two brothers. Yep. Which we you chose first, so we had the two brothers first. I cast the deciding vote on the order, yeah. Again, it, they were the only ones that tied, and that's very interesting that they're connected. Yeah. And even the brothers Grimm mentioned that so these two strange. stories are connected. So strange that that happened. So, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think? Well, 
on that topic, uh, I did cast the deciding vote and I decided to have the two brothers first. And I think the two brothers was better. Quite a lot better, actually. I don't hate this story. Like, it's not, it's, it's a long way from being the worst story we've ever heard. But oh, yeah. equally, I don't love it. Look, I don't love this. <laughs> I don't love what's going on here. I'm not loving what's happening right now. <laughs> guys, 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 guys. Um, Make me love it. Because <laughs> right now I'm not loving it. And also, so the men in the story do some awful things. <laughs> uh, yes. But also, it's the woman, it's the, prin- it's the princess and, and subsequent queen. Just She just loves gold things. Shiny gold things. <laughs> what? And that's the only yeah. reason she got on board the ship. That's the extent of her character. Yeah, she's a woman that likes gold things. So I think this is problematic on many levels. I like the way it said she literally spent hours yeah. looking at all the different gold yeah. objects. I mean, she she got on there, did nothing but look at gold objects. And by the time she'd finished looking at them, she was in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. I mean... She loves gold. She loves gold. <laughs> do, you, do you remember what you gave the two brothers as a score? I do. I gave it a nine. It was a top scorer. And it was it was just a great story. I mean, it was a super long one. Obviously, the, the longest one there is. And mm. I think it was an hour and a quarter just to read the story. Wasn't incredible. It? But like, but like genuinely densely packed with great stuff. I haven't listened back to it again recently, but I feel confident I, I stand by that score. This is not really anywhere near that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I okay. If I tell you what my like first initial gut instinct was, let's mm. give this a six. Okay. What's that based on? Just Nothing. Gut instinct. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's based on gut instinct. Yeah. I think you can go with your gut in I this case. Definitely. I don't want to overthink these things. I think you were just slightly horrified by the story. I was really. Um, it wasn't fun violence. No. It <laughs> and felt sexism. <laughs> yeah. In fact, six feels a bit high. I might okay. even go five. Okay. Um... I mean, it's got some. It's got some unique details in the story. Yeah, you know what? What do you think about the whole sort of loyalty and 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 you know, it's sort of a sh- shorthand for friendship, isn't it? It's about fr- at the end of the day, it's about friendship and loyalty. It's got a very clear core message, I think. Yeah, which maybe we don't always get. That is true. Is that in its favour, or is it almost kind of old-fashioned and outdated? Like, because it doesn't even register as a sort of virtue. It's just weird. It is. It, no, I think it's weird. Because yeah. also it's, it then departs from Faithful John's sort of diligence to his servant. And then suddenly at the end, it's the king's diligence towards Faithful John. Because Faithful John is standing there yeah. with a statue like, kill your children. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'll kill my children for you. <laughs> uh, so I know, it's, for me, it's a little bit of a confusing mess. Uh, it's very, and it's very heavy handed. Yeah. The, uh, that message. Yeah. It's not subtle. No, it's very much not. Literally, so. he's called Faithful John. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't redeem it at all for you then. Okay. No, I don't okay. think so. Faithful John as a character. What do we think of him? Uh, quite distinct. He's quite distinct, and he's quite self-sacrificing. And also, yeah, but also as you know, all these fairy tales in many ways, like these sort of classic fairy tales with a prince and princess. Yeah. They're quite similar. Yeah. So maybe Faithful John is a sort of unique element in there. That, that is true. feels a little bit different. Yeah. Changes things up a bit. Yeah, well, that ATU type about the... The, the petrified friend. 
yeah. Han Solo, yeah. ATU type. That's different, isn't it? And it's like you compared mm. it to Puss in Boots, and that was a good comparison. Mm, that's where true, actually, yeah. normally the, the, the king is the hero doing the good deeds, yeah. winning the princess over, or actually he's just completely passive, really, until the end. Whereas Faithful John is very much the protagonist. That's interesting, but it's not enough to sort of push it, push the score up that high for me. Okay. So I'm talking between a five and a six. I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to say five. Five. It's a yeah. five from Adam. Sorry, wow. John. Five. Five. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking higher than that. Uh, I I agree with you. I think the two brothers was better. Yeah. I gave the two brothers eight point five. Yeah. I think the problem with the two brothers is just it was too long. It was very long. But actually, at the time, we said, you know, it didn't feel like it was... Yeah, no. you know, I don't mind reviewing The Two Brothers again. <laughs> I, I think maybe kind of what I was hinting at there is I do think there's something about this story that's a little bit unique in some ways. I think Faithful John, maybe he will stick in the memory, maybe. Mm. Okay. Um, I I think there's some stuff in there. Like, I, you know, as we, we looked at Hercules and a few other things, like... yeah. There's a lot going on in there and, and like the love triangle, I quite like that. that There's an element of jealousy in there, which you don't always get in fairy tales. It's not just a two dimensional love story. There's a few other things happening. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And hinted at. I like that. Well, I'm amazed that, you know, we've discovered that this story directly inspired the picture of Dorian Gray and Star Wars. Yeah. That's quite, you know, that's. Got to get some points for that. Oh, definitely. It's an amazing fact, and it is, it is a, fact. a fact. Spread that fact. It's a fact, yeah. Just tell everyone you know. Yeah, totally. Do you know where Star Wars came from? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I I was sort of thinking 7.5, wow. I think, was where my head was at. Okay. Which, you know, it's like, was it just a good fairy tale that gives you a little food for thought, imparts something important, which is, you know, a good solid 7.5 sort of score? I think you've you've persuaded me though that maybe it isn't that good <laughs> so <laughs> i might knock it down i was thinking now i'm thinking 6.5 or 7 uh yeah it's got some crazy stuff in there so i'm going seven it's got decapitation it's got kidnapping yeah yeah seven that's a seven from me okay interesting which means as a grand total of 12 out of 20 12 out of 20 that is quite rare i feel that but yeah. that i'm the lower bound of that uh yeah that does feel quite rare I, I i think maybe in the fullness of time you'll be proven to be right and i think it might be a forgettable one okay i think in my head i think it won't be a forgettable one because sometimes we talk about old stories and it's like what was that story? yeah yeah but other ones we immediately know what they are yeah 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 and i'm you know i don't this one could go either way for me in a way yeah but it is one of those things you, you it's proven in the fullness of time, isn't it? You don't yeah. know at that point of time whether yeah. it will be a, a memorable one or not. So who knows? I think the thing that would make it memorable is Faithful John. So I'll, in a few years, I'll say, oh, it's a bit like Faithful John. And I'll be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what, what even is that? I'll be like, I gave that a seven. <laughs> oh, God. Well. We're off. A fun evening. Yeah. Round the fire. <sighs> Hearing um, about kids being decapitated. Yeah. yeah. It's a good start to the year. I'm excited to be back on the horse of series of <laughs> five. Wait. Is it series five? Do you just go to bed? 
Yeah, a little bit. It's series five. It's series five. Don't so shoot that horse in the head. No, no, I will not shoot that horse in the head. Oh, um, come on. That's a great moment. He jumps on a horse and immediately shoots it in the head. Yeah. In front of his bewildered king. Yeah. Brilliant. Come on. That's so weird. Also, so what happens when you do that? If you jump on a you horse... You just sort of like buckles under it, you. Yeah, and then you'll fall to the ground. Yeah. Possibly get crushed. Yeah, by the horse. He's just lying under the horse. <laughs> and everyone's just silent. <laughs> Also, roll, roll why did he have to jump on the horse and then shoot it? <laughs> yeah. Why couldn't he just shoot it? Because it's way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> like, gets the, the pistol out the horse, like... <laughs> <laughs> There's one image of a man on the back of a horse shooting other things. <laughs> There's another image of a man on a horse shooting that horse in the back of the head, like a gangster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Well... A lot to ruminate on. Definitely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head off and let you chew that over. Sure. And I'll see you next time for the penultimate story of the series. <gasps> the old man and his grandson. <sighs> Amazing. And not just the penultimate story of the series, but the penultimate story of, I'm afraid, volume one of the Brothers Grimm collection. Yeah. Volume one of two. It's a half. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then of course we will be ending on Cinderella. It's exciting. It's exciting, but obviously bittersweet. Ah, yeah, a lot of emotions right now. Yeah, so I mean, it's the warm-up act for Cinderella, the old man and his grandson. Wow, I'll see you then. See you then. Look forward to it. Keep it grim, everyone. Keep it grim. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash grimreading to find out how, and also see the range of benefits available as a thank you from us. You can, of course, email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at grimreadingpod, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook, at grimreading. You can find us on podbean, podbean.com slash grimreading, and we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim.